If that happens to you at Subway and you don't choose the fucking moon, then I'm going to come down on you so hard. I want to see what happens. Hello, everyone. You're currently listening to House of Bards. Uh, I'm Beth. And this is Alex. Yes, hello. Um, today's topic, we figured if we were going to do one about technology versus magic, and we've already done an episode on technology, we should probably do one solely on magic. That so seems this sensible. Is, this is the magic podcast. Mm-hmm. Not like a podcast about magic, the gathering. I believe those exist. I don't currently run one, and I would be sketchy about doing so. <laughs> I think in one of the recordings I advocated that you should run Athreos, God of the Dead, before he rotates out of standard, but then that got cut. So I will say it again. <laughs> you should do that. Cause you should do that. he's a pretty neat card, he's very well costed, and he really annoys your opponent. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, magic then. Mm, we're talking about magic in the context of your world, whatever that may be. Whether uh, it be... Yeah. And also possibly your system. Magic is kind of stranger than technology in this particular sense because it's not just the world that's going to be defining what is and isn't available. You've also got the system to contend with, which has its own ideas of what magic should do and how it should work. Which, in some ways, is good because it kind of takes a lot of the, um, I guess, technical side of magic and the more complicated thinky bits of magic, and it leaves you with just the fun world-building bits of magic, which, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from one perspective, unless you like read something in the manual and you're like, fuck that shit, I'm going to do this instead, if you're so inclined. Yeah, it's kind of a delicately balanced system, which means that there's not as much of that that you can really do without messing it up as you might mm. like. Which is an issue, I suppose that's why there are a number of different systems with a number of different ways for magic to work, but mm. generally, uh, at least in my experience of uh, role-playing systems, uh, D&D's Vancean magic is considered very generous, um, so other systems will often scale back uh, the ability of player characters to interact with magic. Yeah. Um, so I, I have not seen a huge number of, of systems go the other way, possibly because it's difficult to manage. Yeah. So... Magic, then. Magic. <laughs> um, we have some 12 questions to ask yourself about your magic system that we're going to go through. Um, these were written by, um, I'm sorry if I get your name wrong, uh, Met Ivy Harrison, and she's a children's writer. Um, I'll see if I can get the link to this particular blog post in the description of the YouTube video if I can. Shouldn't but be a problem. You- you, yeah, you, you you probably have seen this. There are 12 questions. Not all of these are going to be relevant to every world. Certainly ones without magic. These are all completely fucking irrelevant. Um, so, I mean, you, you might as well go do something. Unless you really love us, you might as well go do something else during this podcast. If, you know, your main game doesn't have any magic in it. Although, you know, we like you being here. Yeah. I like you being here. Yeah, I... Uh... Uh, I will attempt to answer these questions uh, as Beth asks them uh, with respect to Dawn Somber, my world, but mm-hmm. I encourage you to think about the, the your world and how these questions might pertain to it. 
Mm. If indeed it does have magic, and well, even if it doesn't have magic, why not? You know? Yeah, have, have a bit of fun. There yeah. are a decent number of reasons, but uh, maybe you will come up with them yeah. when you just think about these questions. Yeah. Um, so, question A. How is it learned and executed? Okay, uh, I think we're getting to the, the, the meat of the, the matter almost immediately there. Um, yeah. I am a computer science student, and I have been for, oh God, coming up for three years now. I've definitely had an interest longer than that. In Dawn Slumber, magic is very similar to open source programming in its social structure and in the way that it's learned. Anybody can learn magic, but not everybody does. In mm. fact, a fairly large number of people don't. Because it's considered too complicated, even if most people can recognize the you know general benefits of being able to do it, it's, it's, it's you know seen as... Uh, complex and just like a, a walled garden essentially that it really isn't um, but it's it's learned by uh, learning of a number of simple principles about how the uh, the arcane um, moves and interacts with living things and non-living things and the the space around you and then defining the terms in a language, number of different uh, magical languages, just so there are a number of different programming languages that can all do certain different things, um, and using that language as a binding vector for the ability to exert control over the arcane, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I get that, that sort of as an up, any, anyone can do it, but not everybody can do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. There's a lot of people who believe that it's not for them. Yeah. Or who will dabble in it a little bit, but they'll never really get past like a basic and pretty mana leaky spell for something fairly domestic. Yeah. That you might do um, in a tutorial. Yeah, I mean there are other ways around this. I know in my particular fantasy world, it's something you go to school for. It's something you're genetically predisposed to approximately 20% of the human population can learn magic and nobody else has that ability apart from elves and other like ox can learn magic and stuff but anyway yeah that's, you know, that's you, another way that you can you can take yeah. it and there's a number of, of fantasy worlds that I see that do favor that yeah um I suppose right on the far end of the uh, the spectrum you have like Tolkien yeah. where you know there's there's five Astari and that's it yeah. Honestly. I mean there's there's magic that's that's used and done by other beings. Yeah in we, the Lord we'll, of the Rings, but we'll, like Yeah, we'll get to those questions later, Alex, but, yeah, don't yeah. worry, but <laughs> But yeah, it's yeah. like it's incredibly restricted. There's only a certain number of, of beings who can even do it and it's ridiculously small and they're all like already masterful. There isn't really any learning involved. How is it accessed? Which I presume is how does one use magic physically? Is I presume that's what that question means. How is it accessed? You know, do you tap mm. into the manner of the world, or...? Well, there's a quote from uh, Dirk, uh, Douglas Adams' Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which I have mentioned on the podcast before in episode <laughs> you three. Uh, you should check it out. It's a very good book. And the BBC radio drama that was made of it is incredibly good and has Billy Boyd in it. Uh, but there's a, a quote where Professor Cronotus speaks of his abacus, which can do something uh, a bit special, and says that it basically understands the way he uses it. And 
that's kind of the way that I envision magic working in Dawn Somber, in that you have all of these uh, magic programming languages, if you will, which have been defined by a certain person. Um, so you're able to sort of like just mentally tap into the uh, the arcane background magic, and then when you define a magical language, you are basically just like defining a system by which the magic will work with you. And then if you learn somebody else's language, then that magic language works because that becomes a component part of how you understand magic working. Sorcerers are basically <laughs> calling root processor functions. <laughs> Sorcerers never get to the point where they actually start like structuring the way that they relate to magic. They just have a series of like cognitive systems by which they know how to do specific things and then they just run those uh, whenever they need to cast a spell, which is mm -hmm. much more direct and requires a lot less rigmarole, but obviously is much more dangerous. Yeah, I've always wondered about bards in your universe and how they work, because bards are bards in fifth, like bards in Dun Dungeons and Dragons. They're not. They're almost not real spellcasters. They're a bit like paladins. They're a bit weird in that well, aspect. Bards interact with the arcane by uh, weaving music. And yeah. the thing about music is that unlike other kinds of magic, um, well, unlike wizardry magic, uh, the spell happens alongside the music. So bards are kind of like uh, scripters, if you yeah. like. In the, well, not even scripters, it's, it's like just-in-time um, programming, in that the compilation is happening as the song is being played which means that bards can very quickly change their song in order to do something different, but they run into a problem where there's not as much of the actual depth of the actual meat of the arcane available to them because they're just scripting off the top. Hmm. Um, so uh, bards might be the equivalent of something using JavaScript, something like that. Yeah. Uh, bards are UI designers, essentially. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, that makes sense, yeah. yeah and, and of course, that kind of works because music is one of the most accessible forms of magic to like a general uh, arcanophobic populace. Yeah. In that the music is the most easily understandable because the rest of it you have like scrolls and spell books that are written in magical languages and if you don't know those, it's going to be a bit confusing. Or powers that you have to just access base arcana but you don't really understand. Mm. So music is by far the most understandable, even if it's not necessarily any more accessible to people who haven't taken the time to actually learn how to do the magic. Yeah. Um, are you ready for the next question? Uh, did you have a, a, an answer for that? Does it work differently in your world? Um, I mean, I guess they kind of tap into the natural magic of, like, the world, if that makes sense. This is gonna... This is... We're going a bit weird now, but people... In the in the world of um, two Earth, are either sun powered or moon powered, um, and you get your cosmic magical energy either from the sun or the moon, and that is how you were able to cast magic. Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. It, that's just that's sun just and sun and the moon. Yeah. It's just how it happens. There aren't any like benefits from cast if you're a moon powered person casting magic at night or in the day because you just soak up whatever natural energy is around as it's magic is background radiation and you are tapping into that background radiation to do things 
It seems you're both a fan of magic as background radiation. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but in this context, you are using the background radiation to, like, form it into something and get it to do something, whether it's to heal someone or cause a fireball or turn someone into an animal or to teleport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just... I, as I mentioned in the first episode, I'm a big fan of employing concepts that were originally used to patch a wound to do something else to make them more legit. So uh, magic acting as, or at least arcane magic acting as background radiation has other implications in Dawn Somber. Yeah. Like, some of them where it is, in fact, acting very much like actual background radiation, like being near too much of it concentrated in one place is a bad idea because horrible things can happen to you. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, the, the, some of them, I think it's even sanctified in the book that like druids can get the moon as the moon as as, like one of the, their sources of power. Like they can either choose one of a bunch of, of like not domains, um, that kind of thing of, of like druid focuses or the the moon. And it's not even like the moon focus. It's just the moon is the alternative to all of those choices. (laughs) I just love like the idea that there could be a whole slew of other sets of neatly arranged choices or the moon. The moon. Like you go to you go to Subway and they're like, um, well, what would you like? And I'm like, well, what do you got? And like, well, we've got all. You could choose a sandwich with all of, of these ingredients on it or the moon. And I'm like, do I get to eat the moon? And they're like, no, the moon is just an alternative to that choice. <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. And they're like, well, you evidently haven't understood the rules properly then. That's a surreal experience, I imagine, happening at Subway, justified by 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, if that does happen to you at Subway, you should probably put in a complaint if they... If that happens to you at Subway and you don't choose the fucking moon, then I'm going to come down on you so hard. I want to see what happens. <laughs> One day I'm gonna work at Subway and I'm gonna do that. And then one day, probably. Yeah, I get fired. What's the next question? Um, does magic have a will of its own? Hmm. Well, um, the arcane magic, no. Mm. The old magic at least did and possibly still does. Because the old magic is like the same thing as the old gods. Like the old gods were this sort of like continuous fluid material that also constituted the old magic. So, yes, it that has a, a mind of its own. The arcane, there's a certain amount of understanding that can be achieved, but it's not really, like, sentient or anything. It's more that it's just very reactive. It's maybe nervous, if that makes sense. Like a jellyfish. But it's not really a living thing. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Um, you know, I haven't really considered this question that much because it's such a weird question. I think ultimately, if people have a will of its own, magical people have a will of their own, then magic has a will of its own. It's it's more of a philosophical question in this universe. It's like, does magic have a will of its own? Well, don't free people, by definition, have a will of their own, and therefore the magic within them has a will of its own? I suppose, in terms of wild magic sorcerers, yeah, kind of, because well, they're def- like, definitely not doing that. Like, I think it could be understood that a large number of the vectors by which magic can be accessed, at least in like more modern versions of D&D, make it clear that at least some of those uh, sources have 
minds of their own. Yeah. Warlocks in particular, like, they actually have patrons who do definitely oh, yeah. have minds of their own. But, like, yeah, yeah. Wild Magic Sorcerers, it is implied that Wild Magic is volatile in a way that suggests some kind of intelligence. Yeah. I, I think that's... I mean, definitely fair have a will of their own, and they are extremely magical beings and possibly where magic comes from mm. and fair a big bit of the world of two earth um so you could argue that they are by proxy magic in its human form having their own will so maybe it does maybe it doesn't i'll have to think about that one all right what's next is it restricted in space and time this is a really weird question i don't it I is don't a really know weird what question. it means I mean, surely, if you can teleport, if you have any spells that allow you to teleport, and if you have any spells that allow you to travel in time, the answer is no. No. There is not currently any magic that can be used to travel in time, but that does not mean that spells to that effect or divine powers such might not one day be invented. Mm. As for space, uh, teleporting in space is possible. Um, Limited planar shifting is possible, and indeed there can exist a group of beings who can just planar shift at will. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, they're not really restricted in space. But in terms of can magic affect things that we might consider to be outside our understanding of space and time, I don't know if the canon of the setting even confirms that such things are a reality. Mm. So... That's kind of meaningless. And also, um, possibly the old magic might, uh, but the arcane just sort of exists, it quantifies itself with its relationship to reality and, to an extent, the exoplanes, so it is restricted in space in that sense. I think in Two Earth, definitely not by space. I mean, you can travel to parallel dimensions in Two Earth if you saw Will it and you find magic strong enough you can travel to a parallel universe um but i think in time i think it is restricted in time because nothing allows you to turn back time or turn forward time or pause time even um so i think it's not restricted in space but in time it it would be although if there was science in two earth that could stop time or time travel then if, yes that's if fine <laughs> if you your setting has magic that can predict the future does that mean it's restricted oh, in time that's a good point i mean obviously it's still restricted but it's not like yeah. completely restricted that's a good question and i don't know the answer to it because there's definitely fortune telling and you know, know. predicting the future prophecy and like a lot of times people in dawn summer do predict the future but they generally do it the way that like yeah real people and like economists and climatologists and statisticians and whatever in real life would predict the future by looking at current trends or using information that only they are privy to and extrapolating future events based on that hmm. rather than actually magically looking into the future you know i'm not sure on this this answer if you think that predicting the future constitutes as breaking the limits of time of like what we understand it predicting to be. the future with a certain yeah. degree of accuracy, like prophecy, yeah. not yeah. just the shit that real mathematicians do every day. <laughs> yeah, if you think that that definitely like counts as time magic or time traveling, then um, comment 
because I'm genuinely not sure on the answer of that. Or you can uh, contact one of us. We'll give you the contact deets at the end of the podcast if you don't yeah. remember. We we are not sure is the answer yeah, to that I, question. I don't know. It's, it's a, an interesting question, I think. Yeah. Uh, but what is the next one? Um, what does available magic do? What can magic do, essentially? Well, magic can do quite a lot of things. Mm. Um, it's possibly more useful to like answer this question in terms of what magic definitely can't do. That's coming up later. Ah, well, what can magic do? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you understand that in Dungeons and Dragons, the uh, the schools of magic. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of things that magic can do, and there are a lot of different types of magic. Like I have two canonized already before you even get to like divine magic and druidic magic and music as magic, which is largely arcane, but whatever. It, it, like, it can do a lot of things. Uh, it can cause harm to people, it can heal people, it can, to an extent, bring people back from the light, uh, from the dead, under, like, certain, certain circumstances. Uh, it can change the physical properties of matter. It can provide information that the caster would not otherwise be able to obtain to the, the caster and their allies. It can affect the minds of other beings. Um, it can cause illusions of things that aren't really there. There's a whole load of things that it can do, and yeah. it's really only limited by your imagination in canon. Mm. Um, obviously, somebody has to write every new spell, uh, which leads to uh, an interesting situation that I might speak of later if there uh, isn't a question that brings it up. Yeah. Um... I think I think my answer would be the same. We're going to have to really get to what can't it do in order to explain really what can it do because mm. magic can do a lot in this world but it can't do everything or it can do most like I've had to kind of form it to Dungeons and Dragons rules somehow but I'll explain how I've done that in a bit. Really honestly in a setting like this you're generally restricted to Dungeons and Dragons rules unless you want to get rid of magic entirely. Um, yeah. With some exceptions like I, I do have certain house rules about certain types of magic that I yeah. carry through to a certain extent. Yeah. But uh, I, I think I've got a similar... It can do a great deal of things. Yeah. Um, it's it's the, the process by which sapient beings express their will upon reality yeah. beyond their like physical abilities. Yeah. Um, this one's a bit of a weird one. How does it relate to the character plot and theme of the book? So I guess you could kind of take this as how does magic relate to the theme of the setting, rather? Uh, quite a lot and not at all. Yeah. Like, the old magic is incredibly important uh, and considerably more powerful than the arcane, but also works in a completely different way. And that drives a lot of the story behind elvish characters in Dawn Sombra and also the Elven Empire uh, and the heritage available on the Isle of Bells as well like pretty much the whole reason it's called the Somber, you know, Dawn Sombra the Sombra Dawn is because time is basically measured from well not time history their, uh, their year zero if you like is measured from the point when the old gods disappeared because that's when the souring happened and elves found they couldn't use the old magic anymore and it was a complete shift in the way that their society worked. Um, most say for the worst, some who are privy to information that they might not normally have say possibly for the better. So 
in that sense, like the old magic is incredibly important to the history of the setting and as to like why everything even exists in the first place. And divine magic as well is also pretty important because the gods do a whole lot of shit. Arcane magic is only important in the sense that it is technically democratized magic. But as I've already explained, not everybody takes advantage of that. So it's really just another form of magic. Mm. But the fact that anybody could like pick up a paper and pen and like have a go is probably a driving force behind the large number of magically inclined amateurs who have the potential to become adventurers. Hmm. I think in my setting, obviously because this is a setting that I'm going to use in a book and the book themes are a bit more different to the themes of the setting. So I won't talk that much about the book, but essentially it's the idea of only certain people are born with innate abilities. It's a lot like how um, you get kids really young and you call them prodigies and genius and then they kind of grow up with that stigma attached to them. Oh and yeah, it's, man, I know that. And that, that's kind of the, the theme of that. It's about, you know, what do you do when, you know, you are, you've been raised as this wonderkin and then suddenly you're in school with a bunch of these wonderkins and you're all similarly kind of in the same ballpark. Maybe some of you are better at magic than others and maybe some of you are better at different kinds of magic. Um, but, you know, what do you do when you realise that, A, you're not that special or B, um, you're kind of okay at what you do but you're not the prodigy and genius darling that everyone thought you were and then how do you deal with that you get really and... really really good at memory charms and then you <laughs> go around the world finding people who have done more interesting things than you do and you steal their stories and sell them for thousands obviously i mean i i mean i guess that's that's one answer um <laughs> Um, and then you get knocked out by some children, but you don't get killed, so that's good. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, that, that's the, the kind of answer of, you know, what do you do when, you know, you, you know, it's quite a deep question. Because, I mean, the book has lots of questions about, you know, growing up and, you know, going from school into the adult world and what you do when you, you do that. And it's about power and responsibility and becoming your own person and... Lots of scary things. The book's about becoming a grown-up, essentially. Um. Well, I think that's a good uh, parallel. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's probably actually one of the reasons why Harry Potter works so well. Yeah. Is that, like, putting this parallel down between gaining some kind of superhuman power and coming into adulthood is... They're, they're very closely... Um, they, they mirror each other because... When you do become an adult, there are a large number of powers and abilities that you start coming into very naturally, mm. um, almost so that you don't notice, but which you then see that you 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 now have, which you previously didn't. Like there's a huge yeah. amount of personal responsibility that you're able to shoulder, and a large amount more power than that you would wield than if you were a child, like both mm. fiscally and in terms of self determination and stuff like that, which is weird to think about when you actually notice it. Yeah, which, I mean, if anybody has ever gotten a paycheck and you've looked at the paycheck, you know, from your job or whatever, or any bit of money you've gotten um, that requires you getting a paycheck, and you've went, I could go and spend this all on Haribo Sour Mix right now. 
I shouldn't. I, could, and I, won't, I shouldn't, but, but I, I could. could. <laughs> you know, or getting a McDonald's and being like, wait a minute, I can eat my ice cream first. I don't have to eat the burger and chips first, and you eat the ice cream first. Mm. It's that, that kind of like, whoa, I'm an adult now. Um, and that kind of learning stage where you, you kind of go, okay, next paycheck, I won't spend this all on Harry Bow Sour Mix. <laughs> I did not, not have that experience ever... with my first paycheck because I am doing an internship for university and living on my own and I need to pay rent immediately. But that's another thing. I yeah. paid rent. I am, like, powering my own accommodation and, like, actual living. Yeah. Which, you know, three years ago I wouldn't be doing. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a recipe for success, I think, at least to a certain extent, to just you know, actually um, parallel that to a young adult actually gaining superhuman powers, whether they be magic or becoming some kind of uh, superhero or supervillain. And that's probably why that's so successful, because that market is, that demographic is very open to ideas of people they can relate to gaining powers and abilities that they did not previously have. Yeah. But again, it's mixed in with ideas of, especially the magic side of it, the magical mage character, and it has to kind of be like, all my life I've been told that I was this wonderful prodigy genius, but I'm actually not really that good at this. There are people who are way better at me than this because they've been doing it way longer than me, or they're just more talented at it than me. And it's about, you know, what do you do when... Um, But I think in terms of what the players are going to have to be stifled with, if you're a magic user player in my world be prepared to answer a lot of questions about the responsibility you have and the kind of prodigy stigma attached to you unless you're alex's character in which way you've completely convened all that by becoming a fucking pirate what is the cost of magic like energy honestly time there isn't a huge amount of cost no um it's dangerous that could be considered a cost but There's not a huge... You don't really need a cost when the thing that's preventing the use of magic by a lot of people is just apathy and misunderstanding. That's yeah. the driving... For the, I mean, it mirrors the real world. It mirrors the way that I've modelled everything off programming as a concept. Yeah, that's that's the reason why. So there doesn't yeah. really need to be a huge amount of cost. I mean, obviously, uh, if you if there are flaws in a language that you've written to interact with magic and you run up against those flaws in a spell that you're writing, the spell will become exponentially more dangerous. Yeah. So that's a cost, I suppose. Um, mm. I mean, I think as well, if you go by purely, you want to go pure rule book guidelines for Dungeons & Dragons, you have stuff like uh, the spell components. But not everybody does that, and I certainly don't do that. Man. Fuck that, yeah. But if you want to do that, that would be a cost, therefore. Um, I think in... You know, to you know, into a, it's energy and time generally for most magic. The price that warlocks pay is a bit bigger because they have to offer their you know eternal immortal soul to their you know patron essentially, and all that entails. Um, so if you are a specific person who I'm thinking of, you've offered your eternal immortal soul to this demon of you know knowledge. And you've been changed physically by it because of it. Um, And it's a great, you know, cost to them physically, but also in the afterlife, they will pay for it because that's not what you're meant to do with your soul. You aren't meant to bargain it off to demons. That's a bad thing to do. Sure, most of you know how Faustus works. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but I mean, other than just like getting tired when you use too much magic in one day, which Dungeons and Dragons supports. Yeah, that's um, a pretty big part of of Vantian magic as it's modelled in in pretty much all versions of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, the more experienced you are as a magic user, the less rests you have to take, and the more magic you can use. Yeah, well, mainly the ex- more magic you can use, like the, yeah. the more capacity you of the magic you have within frequent uh, between frequent rests. Yeah. So presumably, the less time and the less memory your rituals will take. I mean, in in the book, um, mages have to eat a lot as well, but that I can't really find a way to put that into <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. But mages eat a lot. It makes to sense. Yeah. Replenish the energy. Yeah. Uh, I think in Dawn, some of that wouldn't really happen just because of the way that magic actually works. Like it's not yeah. really. Like, you do use your energy, but you only really use your energy to, like, actually key into the arcane. And then it does all the work from that point onwards. So there isn't a huge amount of need for, like, actually using your own magic, uh, using your own um, energy to expend on on magic. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's the cost of magic. And obviously, um, we'll discuss this in a bit, but any magic that revolves bringing someone back from the dead is incredibly costly. Um, especially if they've been dead for a while. Um, um, I also have massive restrictions on bringing people back from the dead. Is there a question that actually pertains to that? <laughs> what can it not do? What can Magic in Dawn Summer not do? Uh, Magic in Dawn Summer cannot allow a person to travel through time currently. Mm. Yeah. Magic in Dawn Summer cannot allow a person to... Well, hang on. Arcane magic in Dawn Somber cannot currently allow a person to travel to an exoplane that they are not aware of and don't have a reasonably good idea of the nature of. So basically plane shifting at will is restricted to beings who relate to the old magic. If you're in you know, if you're using the arcane, then you generally have to know about the plane that you want to go to, and you have to know like what's there and kind of what it looks like as well before you can even try and make an attempt. Divine magic is kind of different in that, you know, obviously gods find it very easy to transport you to their plane, Mm. but would find it very difficult to transport you to a plane, like, made by another being. Although not impossible, because it has happened. Mm. Um, It also has massive restrictions on bringing people back from the dead, and... The way that healing magic works in relation to dead people is also... Like, okay, so the rules I have for resurrection. Because when I was drafting this out, I wanted resurrection to be something that was possible in Dawn Somber, but not something that players would take for granted, which means that there are some pretty big rest- like, yeah, restrictions on what can and can't be done and under what conditions. So I took this idea from the way that a poison in 2nd edition worked, but basically, if you die, and then you're brought back to life, and when you're brought back to life, the thing that was happening to your body that caused you to die is still happening to it, you just instantly die again. Um, for instance, if you don't have any blood, and somebody brings you back to life, you have, like, a cleric next to you will have one action to cure you and make you have blood again. Otherwise, you're just gonna die. Like, basically, non-divine resurrection magic cannot heal significant wounds. Um, the other thing is that the natural effects of dying are basically healing magic doesn't work on corpses, and healing magic doesn't work 
what healing magic does work but works at a very reduced um, power on injuries that were sustained while a body was dead mm. so if you um, if you get your stomach cut open then a cleric could cure wounds you and it will be fine like it'll just heal right up it'll be absolutely grand if you die and somebody slits your stomach open and then you're brought back to life and you get healed like it's gonna be fine but you're gonna have a massive scar all the way up your abdomen basically forever because uh, and that also applies to things like um, rigor mortis and like um, basically there's a whole set of rules for like how your um, core uh, ability scores start going down based on the uh, effects of uh, decay and, and rigor mortis like after a certain number of hours you start losing dex points because your um, limbs start to go stiff and you lose int and whiz points when you know you know um, brain degradation sets in and you can't get those back like nothing short of divine intervention can fix that so basically what this comes down to is that although resurrection is possible it is treated like a emergency medical procedure it's you have to be really really close to somebody who can achieve it and can achieve it quickly and if it's done cheaply like in the case of um I can't remember if it's Spare the Dying or a slightly more powerful spell that's like the uh, the one-shot, incredibly specific, uh, just proper resurrect. Uh, that will take a massive uh, toll on the caster. I have a cleric in my game who has whitened her hair, uh, a large amount of it, significantly by bringing people back from the grave and is now considering not doing that as frequently <laughs> because she's taking years off the end of her life. Um, what else can it do? Uh, basically, because magic is, like, formatted off open-source software, the more complicated you, the thing that you want a spell to do is, the less likely somebody has invented a spell that can do it. Mm. Uh, so this is... The fun thing is that because that's how inventing spells works, and because any everybody can do that also you'll generally find that the more complicated an existing spell is, the fewer ways there are to do it. Like, you have a very, very simple spell at the bottom, like Magic Missile. There are hundreds of thousands of subtly different ways to cast Magic Missile in Dawn Zomba. But if we think about, like, a very, very powerful spell, like, um... Shit, what's a really, really powerful spell? Fifth edition. Uh, I don't think Power Word kills that powerful anymore. I think it's like. I think it power. is. <laughs> I think it is. Do you have the book there? I've got the book right here. All right. Well, give, me fi- the, give me the name of a ninth level spell. Uh. Preferably something that wizards can cast. Okay. I'm gonna find the spell section. Blah, 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 blah. Wizards ninth level. Um. Time stop or Power Word kill. Oh, power word kill is that powerful. Well, all right. So, proper power word kill is basically one spell. Like, there's only one way to do that. Maybe I think for something as simple as like saying a word to kill somebody, there might be two or three ways to do it. But really, only the best magicians have actually come up with a sound, non-mana-leaking way to cast power word kill. And this is the thing. Like, the major effect of, like, this being more than just fluff is that if you treat magic like programming, 
one of the major effects is that almost all spell scrolls become automatically worthless. <laughs> because most magic is open source, and it because the scrolls aren't really consumed when they're copied, because that does not make any fucking sense. Why would that happen? <laughs> uh, then it's like... Basically, the only way that you can make a magic scroll worth anything is if it's an incredibly powerful spell that only one person has invented, and you either are that one person or are in league with that one person, and you are restricting public access to that spell. By copying the record of the spell, you are reducing its value. Mm. And that is the really fun thing, I think, because of course it means that most of the spells discovered by the uh, by parties are of no value whatsoever unless they are copied to a mage's spellbook. Yeah. Maybe if somebody was having a problem with programming a particular spell, then you could just be like, hey, I've got the answer. Uh, but then you are... you're terrible. Don't do that. <laughs> also, don't do that in real life in the thing that this is all a metaphor for, please. <laughs> always, always, always ask what have you tried. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that, that's the major um, effect. Uh, so, so, magic is a work in progress, basically. I, I got yeah. a bit off topic there, but that's the, the, the main point, is that there are going to be things that are difficult to do with magic just because not a lot of people have invented them yet. Yeah. Um, I think, in my world, it can never bring back someone from the dead perfectly. And this is specifically for resurrection. Like, reincarnation kind of works because you're putting someone's essence into a new body. So it kind of works. There's, like, a payoff there. Like, yeah, you're not back perfect anyway because you're a different thing. Um, and Revivify doesn't really count because I count that as, like, you know, resuscitation, essentially. But reincarnation, bringing back... not Sorry, resurrection. Bringing someone back from the dead isn't always going to work out the way that people think it works out. And the person is always, like, depending on how long that person's been dead as well, they're going to know stuff about the afterlife and what it entails that living people shouldn't know about. And they're always going to want to go back to being dead. And they're always going to want to go back to their own spiritual afterlife journey. Like, you know, they're always going to be like, why did you bring me back? I was perfectly content. Unless, of course, they weren't. But if they weren't, they're a revenant and have unfinished or a business ghost, right well yeah the you know the yeah but the you know you're not going to get that person back perfect because they've done something different now and they've experienced something else and they've changed as a person and not only have they changed as a person but they've experienced something that no living being can ever really experience so if you resurrect someone you are disrupting them on that journey and they're always going to want to go back and return to that journey so there's a lot of stories that explore like potentially terrible consequences of interacting with people who have been dead. Yeah. Um, I believe that there's a film with Olivia Wilde in it coming out pretty soon about like resurrecting people and how that goes really, really badly. It might be Olivia mm. Wilde, it might be somebody else. Yeah. But a science I, fiction film, horror film, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was just, I was, I was really interested in that idea because J.K. Rowling kind of brought it up a little bit in the last kind of few Harry Potter books, but it, she never really expanded that much on it. Whereas it's... You Harry's know, like, experience of um, the station platform in the afterlife is not honestly all that traumatic. No, it seems not. potentially pleasant, but also kind of horrifying. 
But yeah. it's generally framed in a way that we can understand as being a conceptual physical space that works with many of the same rules that we've come to understand, uh, either in the real world or in the way that we experience dreams. So I don't know if that's an incredibly extreme example. I mean, you could argue in Harry Potter that's like limbo, and because he's not really dead, it's sort of there like is some implication that way. Yes. Yeah. Whereas you know when he uses the ring and he brings back his you know godparent and well. Remus kind of counts as a godparent as well, and his parents, they they kind of have this conversation about him. And I know that the story of the three brothers goes into quite a bit of detail about what happens when you bring back someone from the dead with the ring, and that she doesn't quite, she hasn't came back right. She has, it's not a perfect resurrection, hmm. and she's like always sort of quite forlorn. And you know yeah. why? You know this sort of you know if you bring back someone from the dead, they are different. And there are people in the Earth of World of Two Earth that have brought back people from the dead. And they generally keep it a secret because they're not supposed to have brought back people from the dead because you don't do that. That's not a right thing to do. It's not ethical. And you're essentially keeping someone here against their will when they've got more important shit to do. Um, and anyway, but that is, you know, what that's essentially something it can't do in this universe. And it's time travel, as we've mentioned, but it, you know, resurrecting someone is... Of course, the question is, what do you consider time stop to be? Because you could see that as time manipulation... I mean, or you could see it as, like, ability manipulation of a specific being. Like, are you just going so fast that it it's seems like, like time has stopped? Yes, that's what it is. You're going stopped? so fast, it's like time has stopped. That's what it is. It's mm. not that you've stopped time. Yeah. That's, just to, that's sa just to save me a bit of grief later on, that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going with that as well. It yeah. reduces the amount of, like, no, there's not any really any time travel except this one time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you can't really bring... I mean, you can get... There are other ways of getting around bringing back people from the dead. Like, you can bring people back as zombies and as um, flesh constructs, but that's not bringing back someone perfect either. That's essentially... With enough foresight, you could bring them back as, like, a vampire or a see, lich. See, even vampires don't quite work that way because they're undead. Undead work differently because it's essentially mm. their soul is still trapped in their body for whatever reason. Um, yeah, look, like if you're raising the dead, you've kind of crossed the moral event horizon in like the morals of the universe. I know death clerics can do it, um, but it, it, know that it is against your character's religion to do so to break to raise the dead. I just want you to know that. <laughs> How long does magic last? Well, that depends uh, what spell you cast. Yeah, uh, same. And yeah. Uh, it also depends uh, on the ambient arcane magic presence and on the speed at which a the long-term effect of a spell is enacted mm -hmm. and on whether the spell mana leaks or not. Mm. Um, like, permanent enchantment's definitely a thing that can be set up. Definitely thing. Not really healthy to do advised against uh, unless you really have to but can be done just by like looping uh the syntax of your spell um and the magical effects of there being too much arcane magic around can extend uh, or enhance normal spells but really it does depend on the spell like generally yeah. refer to the casting time and the duration of the spell in the player's handbook and so long as i as the dm approve of it that's cool mm. If you want to invent new spells, we can come to some agreement about that as well. Mm. I think in Two Earth, like, if you kill 
the person casting the spell, like any spell they're casting at that point will immediately end. Um, as enchanted objects are a bit different. If you destroy the enchanted object, um, then obviously the enchantment on that ends. Although war be told to you who just, who try to destroy a ring of indestructibility, uh, which is a long and laborious folktale that perhaps the denizens of the world and my players may hear. If it's one a ring of, of indestructibility, mm-hmm. I presume that means the wearer of the ring becomes indestructible, not the ring itself. Well, see, the person becomes indestructible, but the ring by proxy is indestructible because of its indestructibility charm. So you can destroy it. As long as you remove difficult. the indestructibility charm, but the indestructibility charm itself is indestructible. It's an indestructible paradox. It's just indestructible charms on top of indestructible oh dear. charms. Can you, you exile can't destroy, it instead? You can't destroy the indestructible ring. Can you make its owner sacrifice it? Can you also <laughs> other magic jokes that Beth evidently doesn't quite get? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. But yeah, I think, you know, generally refer to the player manual and cast spell times and stuff like that otherwise. Yeah, that's kind of the, like, overall conclusion of, of this episode, I think, is going to be that. Yeah. Uh, what's that? What else? Um, who can use magic? Anyone. Already said this. Yep. People um, just sort of often don't because it frightens them. Yeah. Uh, as I've said, if you were born with the disposition to cast magic, if you have the magic gene you can cast magic um, regardless of your race or anything like that, though there are various taboos about certain members of certain races learning magic, like male elves generally are forbidden from learning magic because elves cultural stuff, whatever you know Mm. yeah, but yeah generally the answer is anyone, isn't it really, if you're playing D&D it's like, well it's unfair to put restrictions on who wants to be a wizard or not, and generally you don't. Well, I think it's it's like anybody can play a magical character. Yeah. That's different to any character could be a magical character. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, in your game, we might want to go down the Mass Effect route, in that <laughs> regardless of who is a magic user, technically everybody starts being one of the lucky 20%. Yeah. Um. Which is, by the way, for those who don't know, the official explanation for why you can reclass into a biotic in like the rebuilds in Mass Effect 2 and 3 uh, character creation, even if you were not those things before. It's because Shepard is always biotic. It's just sometimes <laughs> they don't really do anything about that, and they don't yeah. get an amp or anything. Yeah. Like, I, I think that, that that's probably... Like, you were, like, dormant, dormantly 20%, and then... Because, I mean, here's the thing. If you're one of the lucky 20% who can cast magic... A magic school has probably found you and offered you to go to school. Like, and it, odds are, you probably took them up on that opportunity because you were probably poor as fuck or you come from a magical family. Like, there aren't, you know, but maybe you didn't. Maybe you were like, oh, I don't know, my grandmother's ill and I have, you know, and I've got to work on my dad's farm. I can't I afford to pay tuition fees. Yeah. <laughs> um,. I mean, there, there aren't any tuition fees in merge school, it's free. Truly, this is a fantasy universe. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. Like, you, you're going to interact with, like, my government and how effective it is, and you're going to be like, wow, Beth, this is, like, your dream world, isn't it? And I'm going to be like, yeah, effective I bet government. nobody's a shit to the poor in your world. Uh. Oh, no. Maybe, I don't know. Some people are a shit to the poor. 
but not everyone. Not the king. The king's down with the paw. Um, not, of course, that we condemn any of this stuff we're talking about. You know, we've mentioned before that if you want to make a world set to specifications to remove all the things that you dislike enough to not really want to tell stories about them, that's fine. Yeah. My like, world doesn't have any rape or slavery in it. Neither does... Like, mine doesn't have... Like, rape is, like, a serious fucking crime in my world that actually faces consequences. <gasps> so daring. So daring. <laughs> so, um, like, what else? Because that was kind uh, of a non-starter of a question, as I remember. Yeah. Um, how do others react to magic? Uh, well, a lot of people are scared of it. Mm. Um, generally, uh, I don't know what the equivalent magical phrase for uh, can you fix my computer is, but <laughs> if you encounter a mage and you are not personally a mage, that's probably the first thing that you're going to ask, because you're terrible. Yeah. Uh, um... I don't know, it's, it's it's like, can you magically do my dishes or some shit? Yeah. Like, magic is a skill, just like any other skill, and it's a skill that because any, everybody can learn it, there's a different kind of relationship. It, it's not an ivory tower or, like, chosen race kind of relationship. It's, it's like, this is a vocation that some people have. It's a pretty cool vocation at times, but it also requires a lot of in-depth study that I'm kind of intimidated by. So a lot of people, I think, will kind of like, especially if they're old people, will try and pretend not to understand it, <laughs> just so that they don't really have to deal with interacting with it that much. Um, I think in Two Earth, like, there are parts of the world where it's like, whoa, magic. That's scary, because you can basically, like, destroy a lot of stuff. And you have, like, all this power at your fingertips, essentially. Like, literally. Um, but, like, the majority of people are like, oh, yeah, mages, they're awesome. Like, they can, like, heal you with diseases. They defend your village with their fireballs. They're super lovely and educated. And they have this real sense of duty and responsibility. Man, mages are great. Um, they... Magic is generally something that's seen as pretty cool and accepted and awesome. It's It gets the respect that scientists in this world probably should. Um, you know, it's seen as, like, a really good thing to be, is being magic. Um, and you're considered incredibly lucky if you are one. And Yeah, it's great. I mean, maybe there are people in this world who've had bad experiences with magic, definitely. Um... And that's sort of maybe coloured their perception of magical people. Um, you know, anybody who has lived under a curse um, or like a, a lifelong family curse that's followed you. Like there is one family that the players are going to interact with quite strongly. And their curse is that like they will only ever have one child. It doesn't matter how many children that they've managed to have. They'll only ever raise one child to adulthood, which is really tragic. And so that's that's coloured that family's perception of magic quite a bit, as you can imagine, because they've had to live under this horrible curse. Um, and most of the nobility in Two Earth are under some sort of horrendous curse because, you know, noble families piss off people sometimes and cause grudges. What do you do? Let's get a witch to curse them. You know, it's, you know, so maybe that's coloured, depending on the severity of the curse, it depends. So the Harper family who rules the city of Cranzenfort are a bit wary of magic because one way or another they believe that it's killed all their children. 
makes sense, you know. Yeah. <laughs> would colour your opinion on it. Uh, yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if you're Lord Redmayne, it's just made you ginger and all your children ginger. And he quite likes being ginger. It's his personal brand. Yeah. And he's like, my name wouldn't make sense if I wasn't ginger, would it? Hmm. Um, Go on. What's, uh... The last one. Oh, the last one. The last one. Why haven't people with this power taken over the world? Apathy and fear. <laughs> I keep harping on this, it's the main reason. Or, depending on your perspective, they have. That's hmm. A lot of people who use magic are incredibly powerful and command a large amount of like monetary or social power because of it. But also a lot of people who aren't really that savvy about magic just carry on just fine because there isn't really a high enough population of people who can be bothered to give a shit to like actually make a difference also the more powerful and the more complicated the magic you make is the uh more universal the consequences of getting it wrong become so there's a huge amount of code review that would have to go into like uh properly powerful magic which limits the real time and power uh, available to very very powerful wizards who are inventing new spells all the time. So they generally do it for academic pursuit, whereas like actually powerful magicians tend to like satisfy themselves with uh, medium to uh, low-level high-tier spells, which are limited in what they can do when standing up to just like the power of say sheer force of numbers or the very strong likelihood of a mage of equivalent power with opposing views. Mm. So basically the fact that mages don't agree in a lot of stuff and magic gets progressively harder the more complicated it is uh, serve to keep mages in check to a certain extent. As um, for, like, divine power, um, nobody's god has got pissed off enough yet. <laughs> and the old magic is gone. But that that's actually the, the other thing. So if somebody got hold of the old magic in a world where nobody else has the old magic, they could do a serious amount of damage very very quickly also that is a thing that has happened in the setting and yeah. the players know about it that has definitely happened but it's still limited um in this case because it turns out if you're an elf and you acquire the power of the old magic after the souring began that does not mean that the souring goes away in your case <laughs> so you end up being basically allergic to yourself and experiencing horrible chronic pain from like your body constantly rebelling against the power inside you, which really limits your ability to do a large number of things. But it could happen. Mm. Um, in Two Earth, it's entirely possible for someone of great power, but you'd have to be incredibly powerful. And in fact, there is a villain who has tried this. Um, but the problem is, there is always going to be a mage on the opposite side of you who is just as strong as you. This is the thing with magic. There's always someone better or there's always someone equally matched. Yeah, mages taking over the world really needs to involve the large majority of mages agreeing on doing that. Yeah. And that's like not the case in a lot of settings yeah. where that hasn't already happened. You know, you would have to firstly be a really powerful mage. Secondly, get power from another source that isn't just pure magic. You'd either have to bargain with the fair, you'd have to... Or you'd have to make some sort of deal with a demon or a god. So in theory, a warlock could do it, but it would it would need to be explicitly they would need to take over the want to take over the world. Um, but again, that amount of power, you know, against similarly a group of similarly powered mages, 
that isn't always going to work out. And, you know, as well, the more powerful you are a magic user in this setting, the more the fair take a really deep, intense interest in you and want to play with you. And that is not a thing you want to happen as a magic user. So getting fucked with by the Fae is like the white blood cells of magic, right? Yeah. Like, they'll be like, oh, you're very powerful. Why don't you come play with us in the Fae world and basically kidnap you into the Fae plane where you will be their favourite dolly forever and ever and ever. Um, You know, and like, the Fae are way more powerful than you. And, you know, like, no, it doesn't matter if you're like a level 20... Power word, kill, wizard. There are going to be at least some fae who are more powerful than you. There are all fae are more powerful than you. Like, Fair. like maybe with the exception of, like, Lachere, obviously, who you can fight. But, like, you know, fae are fae basically eldritch gods. Like, hmm. they could, you know, if fae really wanted to, they could fucking kill everyone if they really wanted to. The only thing that stops them is the fact that they don't want to do that at the minute. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, really, the real question is why is why have the fair haven't taken over the world yet? And the answer would be, uh, just don't feel like it, you know. But essentially, for mages, it's, I mean, There's they have they've tried. It's power. just never went well. Hmm. Uh, so, what would you say into Earth the most magically powerful like beings that can be templated off a player character race are? Um. Can you say the question again? It didn't quite well, go in. You implied that it was probably warlocks. I mean, in terms of like things that a player character could conceivably become, mm. what is the most powerful magical being? An ascendant. An ascendant? You would have to curry the favour of a god, and they would have to make you a god, essentially. That is uh, totally a thing that can happen. That's pretty close to my... I, I would say in Dawn Sombra, it's either... Avatars or interdimensionals. Yeah. And obviously, because interdimensionals don't exist at the start of the campaign, they have to actually be. Like, the first one. Uh, the campaign I run on Tuesdays, there definitely is one. And it's an X player character. Mm. Um, and I would say, because of their ability to plane shift at will and the fact that they aren't beholden to any deities or demonic entities, and they are basically beings fused with incredibly powerful old magic um, objects, then they are probably the most powerful of that kind of being. If they don't exist, though, and at least competing with them, would be avatars, um, which are a very limited concept. But it's it's basically the same sort of, of deal. It's that, like, a god selects you, sometimes at birth, sometimes afterwards, depends on the god, to be their avatar, to be, like, the embodiment of their... Um, principle and power Mm. in the material world and indeed there have only ever been three avatars and one of them was a dragon (laughs) yeah like um and of the three it can be conceived that one of them is tanitha's avatar and is therefore still like not alive but probably undead Mm. whereas the other two are definitely dead there are avatars in two Earth as well, um, but they're not as powerful as Ascendants, because Ascendants are, like, literally you are a god, like, <laughs> and an avatar's more like a demigod, if that makes sense. You are mm. the manifestation of a well, yeah, avatar, avatars are aspect kind of, of a god. Demigods. I have considered the idea that a being might be able to ascend to become a god in Dawn Somber, but that has never happened. Yeah, but, you know. Um, I've considered that there are 
deity niches that haven't been filled. So it's possible that like a level 20 character could conceivably ascend to become a god under some exceptional circumstances. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever allowed it to happen before and I don't see why I'm going to allow it to happen like I'd have to have a much more unified world I think where that player would then become that god just Mm. be that god yeah I I think to become an ascendant you would need to experience first-hand work by the gods essentially which isn't something like the gods walk around and interact with people, but very rarely do they actually use their godly powers in front oh, of people. Oh, shit, I completely forgot. Um, the Relendian gods are technically not um, sapient beings, but they do, like... They're basically demigods, Yeah. but they they have this philosophy where, as far as they're concerned, calling an exoplanar being a god is nonsense. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, like, a complete contradiction in terms, because they believe that godhood comes with inherent responsibilities to the people that you are a god over that cannot be fulfilled if you do not exist in the same plane as those beings. Mm. So they're like, well, you, if you live in your own plane of existence, separate from the material world, you just emphatically are not a god. Mm. You cannot ever be a god unless you come to the material world. So because they're like actually interactable with in the material world and they have supreme godlike power, they are probably... I'd say one could go toe-to-toe with an avatar, and um, the fact that none ever have is probably good, because <laughs> it would probably be pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, I think against an interdimensional, they would probably lose. Though, yeah. Just because the interdimensional would be able to get the drop on them. Mm. I think the only thing really you could compare to, like, an Ascendant in Two Earth, would be like... A wizard powerful enough to travel to parallel universes, but also be a big enough of a scientist so that they could time travel. Like, that would be the only contender of, like, most powerful being. Um, oh, Sarkhan so... Vol, then. Pardon? Sarkhan Vol, then. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, if you figure out how to time travel in two Earth, and you can travel to parallel universes, a yeah. bit, um, you can, you know, you're, you're about there. Probably. Um, I find it really weird that we've uh, done a whole episode on magic and not talked about mage um, as in white wolf's mage Yeah. I don't really know what there is to say about mage other than hey, check out mage either old world world, uh, world of darkness or new world of darkness Mm. it doesn't particularly matter I think that the system works in a comparable way each time Mm. um but there you can find like a lot of the, the different uh, ways that magic can be modelled laid out in the same universe competing with each other. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool system for encapsulating the entire discussion we've been having here about like how magic can be modelled, I mm. think. I mean, the, we, we've just been discussing our worlds and how magic pertains in them, but it, it shows you the many different ideas and the different sort of opposing sides maybe even to have that you could do with magic you know you have alex's very um stuff that's based on coding and stuff like that and you have mine which is based on birthright and mystical bullshit yeah uh, and <laughs> i think that comes from like what we want uh, yeah comparatively like i this is the thing i know i want a magic that is based on proactive attempts to learn a craft whereas 
to you, magic is a bit more mystical, and there's yeah. a lot less responsibility put on the magic user in particular to try and harness this force, yeah. which is available only... It makes you special, really. Yeah. Which is a, a thing that, you know, my system doesn't really have, yeah. except I mean, in specific cases. I've kind of completely forgot about rangers and their ability to use magic, but the reason why they can use magic is different to the reasons why other people can use magic, because they get their magic from a powerful being that they've had a connection with like a dragon or a fox spirit or like a really powerful mythical creature and is a patron but with no obligation to like sell your soul or anything no no uh you're in a weird way you're kind of it's familiar if that makes sense but without the you know like obligations therefore like you know i mean you know if you've got a dragon as your patron animal you might want to be nice to dragons um, <laughs> it's how I model like um, warlocks whose patron is an interdimensional. Like yeah. interdimensionals are so pants shittingly powerful and exist in the exoplanes in like such they're so completely removed from their previous lives as normal sapient beings. If you have one as your patron, they probably don't know you exist. <laughs> You're just sort of siphoning off their power, yeah. which is coming through in a massive um, uh, amplifying. Uh, multiplier through um, exoplanar space so they don't really even notice yeah Um, so there's no obligation to be selling your soul then that's good Um, and I think with bards I did a kind of metaphor for um, people who are different at learning things like bards essentially are a massive metaphor for like people with like dyslexia um, and dyscalculia and autism and dyspraxia in my universe they're neuroatypical they learn magic differently, <laughs> and so fan. and so they do magic differently. And mages don't really consider them proper mages, but they know they're mages. They're just mages that sing and dance and play instruments. You nice. know, I love it. Yeah, uh, I think we've covered that pretty extensively. It was a nice structure to have the uh, the questions. I think right it there. was, yeah. Um, so if you give me that link after we finish recording, then I will mm-hmm. stick it up in the uh, mm-hmm. the description mm-hmm. so that everybody can go and check it out if you can't remember what the the questions were. Yeah. Um, to listeners, I would just suggest read lots and lots of fantasy books and have a look at how and watch fantasy TV series and watch movies set in fantasy universes and observe how magic works in that universe. Yeah. The question you have to be asking yourself all the way through that is how if at all does this system limit the power available to its powerful beings? Yeah. Hell, you could even play other games. I made a lot of references to Magic the Gathering this podcast mostly to confuse Beth, but actually yeah. the mana system in Magic the Gathering is a means by which the power of magical beings is restricted. Yeah. And there's a whole load of other games where like that's the case, like board games and video games and all of that stuff. Just go and consume that and you will have ideas about how magic can work. Hmm. And maybe you've got a really clear idea of what magic's like in your universe and that will be really cool. Magic's a really fun topic to talk about because you can go so many places, but we've had a very structured episode about world building and we've talked a bit about our worlds as well, which yeah. I think is always good. Yeah, I think this is the first time that Beth has mentioned to Earth. Yeah. So that's I d- fun. I didn't really come up before, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's good. I, I've known about this for quite a while, but just recently Beth has started to to want to run a game in it, so that's going to be really fun. 
Yeah. Of course, I think when we actually start that, we can probably switch roles for a bit. You know, yeah. If you want to it, talk about like DM stuff, and then uh, I, I'll be a player in your game, so I'll be able yeah, to talk about. Yeah. Be really fun. Stuff. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I think we've came to a natural conclusion on this podcast. So. Okay. Uh. Well, this was House of Bards. Your hosts were Alex and Beth. The music is by Kevin McLeod, and uh, I haven't decided at this point in recording what the image is going to be, so you'll find it in the description, probably. Uh, unless it's like actually in the public domain, in which case I might not bother. <laughs> but you know how to, like, well, actually reverse Googling a video thumbnail is probably not going to be very helpful. I'll, mm. I'll put it in the description. So uh, that, I think, is everything for this mm. week. If you need to contact us, oh, yes. I'm Baroness Bamf on Twitter and on Tumblr. And um, I am Cleaver Crumish, that is C-L-E-V-E-R-C-R-U-M-B-I-S-H, on Twitter and Tumblr. Um, and if you want to make stuff for us, if you just hashtag it House of Bards, whether that be on uh, all one word or... Uh, if, if, if you're on Twitter, Tumblr. yeah. If you're on Twitter, you can make it all one word. On Tumblr, I look at the tag for uh, just three words. Doesn't really matter how you capitalize it. I yeah. will probably see it. Uh, if, if it's on Twitter, then I think Beth checks that one more often. Yeah. But anything like that, you can send it to us. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have some ideas about what you think would be a really cool way for magic to work in a setting, uh, I at least would love to hear about them. And if you I'd have, love to hear about them as well. Like, yeah. Recommendations for series with really interesting ways to uh, that make you know interesting ways to to handle magic. I personally prefer very very magic heavy settings, um, but if there's a particularly cool very magic light one you want to recommend us, that's fine. Uh, if you have any ideas for future topics for the podcast, then we absolutely would love to hear those because we do have like kind of a roadmap set up. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're running out. We're Please very help. quickly running through topics. <laughs> Like, that we, we could talk about. Um, so, yes, that was the podcast. And uh, we will... I don't know when I'm going to upload this. I really, really hope it's earlier than the Wednesday that the previous one went up, because I went to see my folks, and I, I did not get the editing done, because I'm terrible. So I, I hope this one goes up earlier, and that therefore I can say that we will see you next week. Bye! Bye! The film I was thinking of is called The Lazarus Effect, and it came out on February the 27th, 2015. Right. It does star Olivia Wilde and Donald Glover. Right. And another load of people I haven't heard of, and it's made by the producer of The Purge. Right, okay. So I don't actually the expect Purge. it to be very good. <laughs> hmm. It's an interesting concept. I like the two lead actors, but mm, maybe well, I... um, they're not two lead actors. I think Donald Glover has a bit part. The, uh... Uh. The other lead is Mark Duplass, who I have never heard of. I've never heard of Mark Duplass. <laughs>